Hey everybody, this is Josh Peterson, your host of This Ocean Life Podcast. Before we get into today's guest, just want to say thanks to everybody for supporting the podcast. As always, uh, following us on Spotify, iTunes, uh, referring friends, all that. It's just super helpful. Really appreciate it. Uh, we have our Patreon account up also at uh, patreon.com slash this ocean life podcast. Very helpful. A lot of neat stuff coming out. I'll talk about it in a little bit here, uh, but trying to evolve the show and just make it even better, more entertaining uh, for us all. I mean, I get lost in these episodes, I think, just like you guys do. So uh, got another great one today. Hope everybody's healthy, getting in the water, getting wet, salty, and taking care of each other. So thanks for being here. Let's get into uh, another great episode. Thanks again. And it's been a lot of fun, but throughout all of these projects and all of these different jobs that I've had all over, people were like, oh my gosh, you're a marine biologist, or oh my gosh, you get to dive for work. Like, I want to do that. How do I do that? My niece wants to be a marine biologist when she grows up. Like, how, 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 right? So after getting this question so many times over the years, I'm like, there's got to be an answer out there. So that's kind of, that's why I created this podcast, was to answer the question of, how, how do I become a marine biologist? That's Kara Musia, and you're listening to this Ocean Life Podcast. In the waters of South Florida, marine biologist and podcaster, Kara Musia splits her time between working to protect sea turtles and sharing stories from other marine biologists. With a strong dedication to helping the next generation understand the wide variety of paths to becoming a marine biologist and the realities of the profession, Kara hosts So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast that provides unique perspectives and stories from others in her profession. Throughout her own career in marine biology, Kara has worked across different disciplines and now today focuses on sea turtle research and conservation. On the topic of sensitivity to human impact on beaches by nesting turtles, Kara shares an interesting perspective on what the COVID-19 lockdown has done for sea turtles through less disturbed beaches near her in South Florida. Now Kara rounds out her ocean life with strong dedication to exposing her young family to the water and providing guided nature tours by paddleboard around her area. Now after I recorded this with Kara, I went into a multi-week <laughs> creative shutdown. So apologize to her and all of you for the lag in getting this episode out. But here it is, and I'm back on track with weekly episodes. And plus, we'll be launching a blog and weekly newsletter, kind of doubling down on sharing stories uh, that will add a bit of new spice to the podcast. So hope you all are all well, and I'm super grateful that you're here sharing in Kara's Ocean Life with me today. Enjoy. Kara. Here we are, middle of the COVID-19 craziness. Uh, I just would love to hear how things are, how they're treating you and your family out where you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're doing, we're doing well, actually. It's definitely been a little bit of an adjustment, but we're trying to look, I'm trying to look at the silver linings of it. So my husband, uh, his work schedule is consolidated and he's working three tens and then is asked to make up the rest of the hours when he's at home. So he's home four days a week. So that's been really lovely. Um, our beaches are closed, which kind of, I mean, definitely sucks. You can't go, well, you're not supposed to go to the beach, which always sucks, but there are ways around that. And our, our parks are open, um, which is great. We have wonder. we, I live on the coast in Florida and we have beautiful parks. Most of them are on the water, whether it's the river or adjacent to the ocean. Um, our boat ramps, 
in my county, they're, they tried to close them for a whole week and people lost their minds. So they just closed them on the <laughs> right? So people, they just closed them on the weekends and to try to keep some of the crowds at bay. And I think what helped with that was we have a lot of sandbars and islands and people like to go and hang out and party. And it's like, I mean, I grew up here. Yeah. We grew up doing, it's a lot of fun, but you know, social distancing kind of six feet becomes like three feet becomes two feet, especially when you add alcohol and sun and fun. Right. So it was oh, yeah. kind of hard. Um, so Florida DEP actually sent out a mandate and they said, nobody's allowed to hang out on any of our intertidal sandbars or anything. So that kind of makes it easier for law enforcement because it's basically like, just get off <laughs> instead yeah. of please maintain your six foot distance. It's just, right. you know, yeah. Beat it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's, it, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why they were like, fine, we can leave the boat ramps open because you have to stay on your boat basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. So where, where, where exactly in Florida are you? I live in Stewart. Um, so it is 40 minutes north of West Palm Beach, right on the coast. It's a small dot town. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So what are you guys doing to stay sane? You're going to the parks that are open as best you can, or what's your Yeah, actually, so we've it's been on our list to buy a canoe. And nice. we've like looked for the last we have a we have a baby girl, she's a year and a half, and we have a sup and we've got surfboards and we, you know, we have the boat and we've got kayaks, but with the baby, we don't have the boat in the water, it's trailered. And with the kayak and the sup, it's just hard to put her on it and tell her to stay and then actually like be able to paddle. So we're like, let's just, let's get a canoe. And then one of us can paddle while the other one deals with baby. And then maybe we'll get these moments in time where both of us can paddle when she's hanging out. <laughs> right. So we've been looking and looking and then, oh, this COVID thing happened and people are like, I want some extra cash. I want to get rid of some of the junk in my yard. Yeah. So now we have, time. yeah, right. So now we have canoes. Um, so we bought a canoe the other day and yesterday we went out and canoed through the mangroves. There's a really cool trail. Um, we canoed through the mangroves to, through to this trail to the beach and got to hang out on the beach with nobody around for a little while. So that was really lovely. Cool. So that's awesome. One of the that ways. Really cool. Thing. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Got to get creative. Got to buy stuff, you know, and you got to just, <laughs> And just, you know, um, do the best you can and got to stay sane, especially with the young one, you know, yeah. um, for yeah. sure. So with time, not, I shouldn't say time in your hands because you're still busy with um, yeah. being at home so much now. Mm -hmm. Are you able to do more podcasting? Because you have this really awesome podcast. I'm really excited to talk to another podcaster. And I hope we don't get too geeked out on podcasting techniques and things through, through, <laughs> as we talk today because people want to hear about you and your ocean life. But so you want to be a marine biologist is your podcast is really awesome. So start there first. Where'd that come from? What's the premise? And just give us dive into it, if you would, please. Yeah, awesome. So so you want to be a marine biologist is a passion project of mine. Uh, it's probably the best way to describe it. So I am a marine biologist. I grew up in South Florida and was always inspired by the ocean. You know, I grew up fishing and diving and, you know, going snorkeling and surfing and sailing. Well, I started sailing in college, but I just loved, always loved being around the water. I was always fascinated by the sea life. And uh, when I was looking at college choices and what I wanted to study and all that fun stuff, nothing sounded appealing to me except for being in the water. So that's what I decided to pursue. And um, so I, my career has kind of gone all over the place. Um, I graduated, I went to Florida Atlantic University. It's in Boca Raton, which is 
uh, like 20 minutes south of West Palm, so about an hour from me. Yep. And uh, and I lived down there, and I loved it because it was two miles from the ocean. I could ride my bike to the beach. It had great diving. Um, the water was beautiful, and there was all sorts of science classes that I could take, including a whole semester up in Fort Pierce at Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute. Oh, so, yeah, cool. Right. So it was like a whole semester dedicated to ocean science, which was really fun. Um, so I became a marine biologist and did some water quality monitoring and I did oyster restoration, which was probably one of my favorite projects. And, um, we traveled, my husband and I traveled and ended up coming back to Florida. The oyster restoration was in Maryland, I should say. Um, and we ended up coming back to Florida and I did see, I do sea turtle stuff now. And, um, and it's been a lot of fun, but throughout all of these projects and all of these different jobs that I've had all over, people are like, oh my gosh, you're a marine biologist, or oh my gosh, you get to dive for work. Like, I want to do that. How do I do that? My niece wants to be a marine biologist when she grows up, like yeah. how, 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 right? So after getting this question so many times over the years, I'm like, there's got to be an answer out there. So that's kind of, that's why I created this podcast was to answer the question of, how how do I become a marine biologist, and what does what does a job in marine biology really look like? A lot of people they say they want to be marine biologists, and they picture working with dolphins. I think that's probably the most common, it's, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like the most common, most stereotypical, and I use the example a lot, but it's really true. I'm like, oh, maybe yeah. people aren't. And like, I hear more sharks now, which is cool, but like, I still hear dolphins. Like, I want to work with dolphins. I'm like, that's awesome. Uh, but there's a lot more to being a marine biologist than just going out in the boat and observing whatever animal it is that you want to observe. Like that might be, if, if you get a job doing that, amazing. That's a small part of what your job actually is. And you go back and like, look at the footage of what you've, what you've recorded and analyze it and you write reports. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot behind the scenes and the path to get there. Every, you could have two people that have the exact same job, exact same job title, and the path that they each took to get there are totally different. I've yeah. never heard one story that's the exact same. And I just think highlighting these stories of like persistence and following the path, your own path is just fascinating. And that's what I want to highlight in my podcast, as well as, you know, our oceans need help. There's a, there's yeah a laundry list of things that the ocean needs help with. Um, and I think that that's something really important that I wanted to bring to light. So it's always something we chat about in with each guest, what they've observed or what their research is that helps the ocean or what they've found during the research. And I always end each episode with a conservation ask for the audience that ideally that they can do wherever they live on the coast or not. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the podcast in a nutshell. And it's been so much fun to create and chat with people and learn more about their stories and hear from my listeners. I think that's one of my favorite parts. And I never going into it, I never thought about it, like how people would be reaching out to me and like giving me feedback and provide and like telling me their stories. And nice. one of the most rewarding parts about creating this podcast. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. And it is so rewarding when you realize you're reaching somebody, whether mm -hmm. it's a thousand somebody's or just one somebody, it doesn't really matter that you reach yeah. somebody with what you've done and it made a difference whether they were inspired, maybe they're better educated and they sort of altered their course down the path of marine biology because of something they learned or whatever that is. 
it does feel super good. And one of the things too that I is cool, in a, and we talked about this just for a minute, is my short stint of a few years in, in the field is the title is so much more glamorous than the actual work, you know? And <laughs> it is, and I, I was the same thing. Marine biologist, that sounds awesome. I'm gonna be out in this blue water and it's gonna be so rad and I'm gonna be all so tanned and it's gonna be, you know, doing something good. There's a lot of really neat things about it. And the hands-on reality is, A, you might be in a lab where it's under fluorescent lights all day long, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's what you do, you know? Um, but that's you like might be, people jam. Like they love it. Yeah, they just want to look at those absolutely. Fish and it's amazing. Yeah. No, it's true. And you get till I, I used to pick out these little larval fish out of these samples and it was super meditative with some music on. Like there's definitely yeah. <laughs> components to it, you know. And then there's like the hands-on dirty. I'm getting beat. I'm doing three dives a day. I'm schlepping my tanks. I feel kind of crappy and seasick and it's really hard and all this other yeah. stuff. You know, so I like what you're doing and for a lot of different reasons is you have a lot of different guests on mm-hmm. and you show a lot of different viewpoints of that. So talk about sort of the range of guests and the different disciplines within the overarching marine biology field uh, that you've had on your podcast. I I feel like that's one of my like pride points is that I really try to have a different wide ranging guest. So I've I have had a few PhDs on. Uh, they're probably the easiest to target for a specific expert, quote unquote, in the field. Um, probably the the most illustrative part of that is uh, I had uh, a gentleman that studies ocean chemistry and specifically mercury. And how I found him was, you know, you hear about mercury accumulating in fish toxins, for example, grouper. Uh, it's a fish that we have here in South Florida. It's like pretty common to hunt and to eat. Unfortunately, it's really slow to reproduce. It takes a long time to get to an age where it is reproductive. And to for a fish that's old and to eat it, it accumulates a lot of toxins. It can accumulate a lot of toxins in its tissues and now you're eating it. So, and one of those toxins is mercury. And I'm like, okay, so where does the mercury come from? And there's really no like simple answer to that. Yeah. Um, and so I found this, I found Dr. Carl and, and he does this amazing research actually out your way at university in California. And, uh, so I had him on the podcast because I was, I was curious about it. So all the way from like expert PhDs down to, I've had a few students on, I've had two students on, and I think it's really interesting to hear the perspective of starting out. Um, both of them have had really cool experiences. One had a few pivotal internships. Um, where she's learned some good ocean science with different climate change lab, like working in a climate change lab and look, looking at different algaes and how it's affected by it. Um, she's had experience working with penguins already and kind of how to find internships and how that can translate into ultimately finding a, a job down the line. Um, and then the other student I had on, she is from the American Midwest and decided to kind of drop everything and go study marine biology in Australia and she ended up graduating over there at James Cook University and she got to study corals and she learned a lot and she shared some of the things that she's learned and some of the uh, some of the ocean issues that are kind of our students are currently facing. And so it's been really interesting to hear from all the way from PhD down to the undergrad. And I've had a few conservationists on um, a few photographers and I'm 
I, I love chat chatting with them because I think underwater photography is such an amazing art. I'm like an amateur. Yeah. I just out there with my GoPro and I'm like, it's hard. It's so <laughs> much, it's so much harder than you think to like yeah, yeah. underwater. And so, so it's fascinating to chat with them and, you know, conservation, I, ocean conservation, I, I think is a part of marine biology. Marine biology to me, isn't just the actual study of living things. To me, it's pretty much anybody that works on the water or on the ocean that with the goal of helping it. Right. So these, these conservation photographers, like in my head, I'm like, they fall in the umbrella umbrella of marine biologists and they are shark conservationists and um, manta rays and just so many different things. So it's been a lot of fun to chat with all these different people. And I've chatted with people in Australia, in uh, the Philippines, from the UK, um, all over the U S so kind of, kind of bebopping around the world. So that's been a lot of fun too. <laughs> yeah, that's way cool. It's neat to hear different perspectives from different um, nationalities about this too. Well, there's this common theme of it. They all, we all care about the water. That's why, you know, they're into marine biology, whether it's in Portugal or the US or Madagascar or wherever. But it's also really interesting to hear about the issues that they're working on in a totally foreign part of the planet that you've never been to. You don't really know the animals that well. That's one of the things I love about what I'm doing here is just, what's it like to surf in, you know, uh, the Arctic or something like I have no idea, but so for you then is that part of the, the juice in it for you is you get to get lost in somebody else's experiences for the hour you have them on and learn and almost kind of feel secondhand, almost firsthand what it's like to do what they do in that area. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have an episode coming out um, next month and I chat with somebody that is doing research in Thailand and they're actually looking at the benthic fauna. So like the animals that are growing on the bottom. So it's a little bit of, uh, excuse me, nudibranchs, which are everybody's favorite, beautiful sea slugs. Yeah. Um, so we chat a little bit about that, but he also dives into what's actually like living in the muck in the bottom in this specific bay in Thailand. And just hearing him get so passionate about it and kind of, and so animated about what he's studying and how fascinating it is and how it can like change how policy is being shaped out there. It just, I like, I got lost in it and I was like, Oh, this is so amazing. <laughs> and like, when you take a step back, you're like, we just talked about slugs and muck for 45 minutes. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really cool enlightening conversation. <laughs> well, the lesser glamorous areas of marine biology, slugs and muck, but <laughs> yeah. just as important and interesting as right. dolphins and fish, you know? Exactly. But he's diving in beautiful, pristine waters on coral reefs. So, oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, how about so? How about the the starting of a podcast, right? I mean, two things. One, you had to like want you had to be out. You have to be outgoing. You have to want to talk to people. You have to want to lead a conversation and pull stories out, right? So there's that aspect of you, just mm -hmm. you know, personal characteristic which you have after talking to you. So, and then the second one is just okay. So what do I do? I have to have a platform and a podcast service. And so talk about just you starting from the, when you had the idea to make it the decision, okay, I'm going to do this to actually like getting up and running with a podcast. Mm -hmm. It's a process. I think, I think starting anything <laughs> that was a process, right? Like you starting from, I have Very no true. idea how to do this to getting to like, okay, I did it is a huge long process. I don't care what it is. Podcasting mm -hmm. included. Um, yeah, so I actually was going to do 
this as a blog. I wasn't going to do podcasting at all. I didn't want to have to listen to myself talk. I think a lot of people have. <laughs> that is a hard one. <laughs> right? Uh, and my friend, she's a yoga instructor and she does yoga videos. And I'm like, oh, and she's like, I don't want to hear about it. I have to look at myself and hear myself talk. I'm like, okay, you win. Um, oh, geez, but, yeah. <laughs> but so I didn't, I wasn't going to do podcasting. It was going to be a blog. I had actually interviewed a really good friend of mine in my marine science high school my high school marine science teacher. Um, and I had, you know, recorded both of them, but the sound, I just did it on my phone. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll just take notes. Cause this is just going to be a blog. And like my, I have, to, I have to get back with my high school marine science teacher. Cause it is still one of the funniest interviews I've done. Oh, cool. And we did it in the middle of like Panera bread cafe. So I'm like, oh, yeah. I can't use this on a podcast. <laughs> There's <laughs> too much Panera happening in the background. Um, but yeah, so getting started, I was just going to do a blog and then I listen to podcasts and I really enjoy them. And I just think that when they're, when you're looking at things on the internet, there's so much that wants to grab your attention for you to look at that it's really easy to get sucked down in these time holes and then not actually get to the things that you intentionally went to, right? Like, so Facebook, Instagram, all those social media things are really good examples. But even going down the rabbit hole of just different articles like you get sucked down one article in, on medium and then oh there's a click to and a similar oh i'm well, just click 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 and you may not get to the thing that like hey a podcast or a blog about marine biology that you meant to get there to look yeah. at in the first place um and i think that podcasting is wonderful because you listen to it when you're driving when you're walking the dog um you know when you're folding laundry whatever simple things around the house it's when i listen to podcasts and I was like, this is, this is a more accessible way for people to listen to it. And so I was like, all right, I'll let, like, I'm going to do a podcast. I'll lay the blog to rest. And uh, so getting started with it, I, I Googled, I mean, Google was my best friend or Ecosia, oh, yeah. whatever your favorite search engine is. Definitely. And um, yeah, I mean, I found, I found Audacity, <laughs> which is a free, editing platform. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, okay, cause you know, it's, it's just me. I don't want to spend a lot of money getting this up and running. Uh, fortunately, you know, podcasting is all about the audio quality and a microphone is one of the biggest things that everybody keeps recommending. And fortunately my husband and I did some traveling a few years ago and had wanted to do some of our own fun videos and we bought a really good microphone to do them with. And so I still, that's what I'm using right now. It's what I use. Um, so I, I had that at least, but to get like the hosting and to figure out like how to get my feed over to Apple and, and or, yeah, Apple yeah. podcasts and all of that. And like all of that was, you know, searching online and just figuring it out and messing it up and trying again and eventually That's get right. there. <laughs> <laughs> and you got there. And got what, there. how many episodes are you on now? You're in your twenties, right? Or more? Yeah, I'm releasing my 26 episode tomorrow. Very nice. excited That's on Earth Day. Awesome. <laughs> oh, very cool. And so when when did your first episode come out? What, what was it, the month or date around that? It was uh, last May, May 2019. Oh, nice. Yeah. So very we cool. are coming up on my one year anniversary of podcasting, which is fun. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Um, so then when you are chatting with somebody, you being a marine biologist yourself, been in it for a long time, still in it today, um, are you 
do you pick up like does it any of the what you hear and things you learn from these other folks from around the world you know in marine biology does it ever help you with what you're doing day to day which is also a question of way to transition into telling us what you're doing your day-to-day marine biology job i just imagine you're hearing all these cool stories and perspectives and also data and science like geez i didn't know that was happening maybe that's happening where i am or do you ever make little little like connections with your local area and what you're doing with uh, marine biology so i feel like i always learn something from everybody i listen to um and it does yeah i will say that they kind of open up like little different little nuances or niches. I'm like, Oh, I didn't even realize that was in my own backyard. Um, so, and there's, there's some, because Florida is all water and a lot of ocean mostly it's, it, there's, there's just a lot going on in Florida because, and it's, it's almost impossible to know every project that's happening because there's just so much. Um, so I do find that I'm learning more even about where I live, but, in the, in the world as a whole, just the different things that are being studied and um, some of the different policy that's being shaped because of it. It's, it's absolutely fascinating to me and, you know, I'm constantly learning. Everybody's learning every day. Um, so I'm definitely learning and I learn a lot from my guests day to day. So I do see turtle work right now. I do see turtle research right now. So I'm mostly on the education side of things, which kind of ties in nicely with my podcast. Um, yeah. And before my daughter was born, I was doing a lot of uh, beach nest monitoring. So we would go out at sunrise and monitor and look on the beaches for turtle tracks from the night before. And our area in South Florida, pretty much like West Palm and then to like just north of us in Brevard County is the highest density or one of the two highest density loggerhead nesting beaches in the world. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then we also have green sea turtles nesting here and leatherback sea turtles nesting here. So um, we get between the three species, we can have lots of different activities from the night before. So we go out and document it. And what we're looking for is crawls. Uh, so a crawl is just them coming up on the beach and they could be a false crawl or they could have nested. Um, and a false crawl is like they came up and they could have just turned around and gone right back, or they could have dug a little bit and decided for whatever reason, they don't like the area. It could have been light pollution. Um, it could have been that the sand was too dry and it kept the hole kept collapsing and they just gave up on it. That happens a lot when we haven't had rain in a while. Um, you know, somebody on the beach could have scared them or something on the beach could have scared them and they've gone, gone back to the water. So there's a few things that cause false crawls. Um, and then, so we document all this, we record all this, we mark only some of the nests. And I think that's something important that people don't totally realize is that not every nest is marked. We, we would be out there like all day and all night. If we marked every single nest, we mark a small percentage just to see the reproductive success. And what I mean by that is we'll go, we monitor each nest that we mark. So in addition to recording with a GPS, uh, each nest that, or each crawl that comes up on the beach, Um, we monitor every nest that we mark and to mark a nest, we actually have to like dig for the eggs because you don't want to drive a wooden stake through a nest of eggs. Right. So um, we'll go and check the nests that we've marked each day and, you know, about 60 ish days, depending on what time of year it is and which species it is, the nest will hatch. And we wait three days when we haven't seen any tracks anymore, and then we'll go and dig it up. And what we'll look for when we dig it up is 
how many eggs are hatched, how many eggs are unhatched, and any live or dead turtles that are left in, in, the, in the nest. And all of this is sent, put in a big database, it's sent to the state, and they compile lots of data and kind of crunch it down and ideally extrapolate how the nesting populations are doing because turtles coming up on the beach only tells part of the story. We want to know right. how many turtles are going back into the ocean as well. Right, right. And then what's like the survival rate for the little guys that make it out of the nest and jump back into the water? So <laughs> it's really funny. Like if you look online for this answer, they're like yeah. one in a hundred, one in a thousand, one in 10,000. And I'm like, so what is the answer? Like, cause I get asked this all the time. I'm like, I'm a sociologist, right? Like I need to know this answer. And we were at one of our permit holder meetings a couple years ago and they're like, so the answer is we don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's low. It's really low. I think one in a thousand is probably a good estimate. Um, yep. but it's, it's insanely low, uh, sea turtles lay a lot of eggs. So I'll take loggerheads because they're the, what we have the most here. They'll lay over a hundred eggs in a single nest. They'll nest several times during a season and wow. then, and then they won't come back the following year. Um, they'll, it takes a lot of energy to make that many eggs in that short amount of time. So they won't come back the following year. They'll come um, and it's usually every other year, all species of turtles do this. They usually do an every other year type of thing. And um, so in that hundred, hundred plus eggs, you know, sometimes we have a beautiful, it's what we call a clean nest. We dig into it and they're all hatched and all the shells oh, cool. are like papery and white and like pretty and there's no yolk and it's amazing. And I love those nests. Um, and you're like literally just count like little paper, like they look like, um, if a ping pong ball kind of like lost its air yeah. wash yeah it's exactly what they look like <laughs> oh, that's cool <laughs> yeah so we count them up <clears throat> and um and ideally you know they all hatch that like almost never happens i've had nests that were too close to the water line or something or they cooked too much or something happened and i've had whole entire intact nests that the eggs they'll start to turn black when they're when they're no longer valid um mm. and so all the eggs are starting to go and so that's kind of sad to see um so it's definitely kind of a wash between most of the time i have mo a lot hatch out and then i always i usually have a few that didn't hatch at all i love it when i find the babies in there though usually we take <laughs> them, usually we like bring them with us for the night because the rule, the rule in Florida is that you don't let them go after 10 a.m. because the sun's too high and they just become a mm. snack. Um, so we will take them back with us to the office and they get to hang out in a bucket of sand with a towel over it and we'll let them go that night or early the next morning. That's, yeah. another, that's another quick PSA. If you see a sea turtle and you like it's in the middle of the day. Try to take it somewhere and don't put it in water. It uses a lot of energy to swim through the water and it's not actually going anywhere when it's in your bucket. So put uh -huh. it, get some, get some damp sand, put it in the damp sand and bring it to somebody that does sea turtle work. Yeah, good call, good call. You know, it always trips me out that those little guys can even, even one in a thousand can survive because they're so like not agile in the water. They're so cute, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. They're beautiful animals but they're just these little floppy things that seem like 
for for the odds of one getting it's just amazing to me that one can make it to adulthood because again they're not dodging things they're not fast they're not like hiding you know they're not camouflaged they're just are and it's just so cool when you see them you just can't help but root for them those pictures or videos those little guys flopping in the water you're just like go it's like watching a sporting event you're just like go go you know you just can't help but root for them <laughs> It's true. It's true. They do have a tiny bit of camouflage. Most marine mm. animals have what's called countershading. So yeah. they'll have white bellies. And so when something's underneath of them looking up, it kind of blends with a light sky. And then they'll have dark tops. And so when you're yeah. looking down, it kind of blends with a darker ocean color. Um, yeah. But that's pretty much all the camouflage they have. So most, uh, most research has shown that hatchlings, no matter the species, charge it from Florida out to what's called the Sargasso Sea. It's just a ball of seaweed in the middle of the Atlantic is probably the best, easiest mm. way to describe it. Um, and they hang out. They All they're looking for is a big patch of seaweed to hang out on. It provides habitat. It provides protection. It provides food. There's all sorts of little critters that live within these big patches of seaweed, um, which is actually a brown algae, fun fact. But they live in these big patches. <laughs> Big catches of factoid. <laughs> yeah. So how about like the status of the population as a whole? So I guess in two different ways. One is in your area, loggerheads, yeah. and then more globally, how how are those guys doing population wise? So uh, loggerheads, greens, and leatherbacks are all up, which is great. Um, there are the numbers in Florida have been increasing steadily over the last couple of decades, which is pretty heartening to see. I think globally, it depends on where you go. Um, there's places that were doing great and then certain policies have changed and now they're not doing so great. You know, certain parts of like Eastern Africa have a higher nesting population mm -hmm. of certain type species of turtles and like they can do great. And then, you know, in times of conflict, not so much. Um, so I think worldwide, I, they're all endangered. Um, Every, there are seven species of sea turtles worldwide, and every single one of them is considered protected. Um, they're all endangered according to IUCN, which is the International Union of... Oh, goodness. Blanking on the name. They're all endangered. <laughs> another acronym. <laughs> yeah, another acronym. <laughs> There's too many of them. Um, so they're, they're all considered endangered, uh, except for the loggerhead in Florida... Uh, it's considered threatened. So our population has increased enough to where they're not as critically or they're not worried about as much, but they're still monitored pretty heavily. Yep. Um, oh, I, International Con Union for Conservation of Nature, IUCN. There we go. I had ah, to there we go. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I had a mind fart there for a second. Um, so, so yeah, to answer your question here, they're increasing. Actually, I saw uh, there's a local, very small nonprofit called Florida Leatherbacks Inc. And all they do is leatherback monitoring, uh, both in my county and in Martin County and in uh, Palm Beach County. And because of COVID and all of, you know, people not being on the beach, that means their, their beach chairs aren't left behind. That means their toys, their umbrellas, their their sand pits are not left behind. There's, it's a clean, flat, dark beach for the most part. And there they have seen a doubling in their numbers from just last year, which wow, is really impressive. So cool. Yeah. So, you know, even if you take into account 
like I told you earlier, the sea, sea turtles nest in our cycle, cyclical. So like mm -hmm. one year they'll come and nest a lot and then the next year they won't come at all. And then the next year. So we know that it kind of goes in waves, but even accounting for if this were a, a bigger year that like a doubling of a number is pretty substantial. So yeah. that's exciting yeah. to hear. That's way cool. And this is almost like, I mean, it's a mini, it's a science experiment that happened by chance. Meaning when else could you say, Hey, no chairs, no people on this beach for even an hour, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Or, you know, let alone a week or days mm -hmm. um, to really see, Hey, what happens if there's nobody, like nobody, nobody touching this beach for a while? Do we get more turtles? Do we get less? Do we get the same amount? And it's like, here's that sort of natural study, actually not study, um, but experiment just happening. And it's like, whoa, we're getting way more. So do you think that there's a possibility that what you, what you guys are seeing now with few, way fewer people, way more turtles, that might help influence future, I don't know, regulations around beach uh, activity or anything that might come into legislation that will help provide sort of, I don't know, better environment for the turtles to come back to in the future? You know, time will tell. I hope so. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, see, so sea turtles are one of, you know, pretty enigmatic creature. A lot, everybody loves a sea turtle. I haven't met somebody that's like, oh, a sea turtle, gross. Like, it's very I, true. It's very true. <laughs> they're like wise, beautiful beings. Most people love them. Um, so, you know, locally, and I say locally, pretty much anywhere that there's a nesting beach in the United States, there's a really big push for, to educate people. Because if you're not from here, you may not know that t sea turtles like their beaches clean, dark, flat. And like, what are things that you can do for that? So you don't want to mm. be on the beach at night. You don't want to have white lights shining on the beach, whether it's your flashlight or a porch light from a condo from somebody that's visiting from Nebraska. Like, they don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's really important to educate people in that. Um, and as far as like policy being changed, I think we'll have to see what the data is by the end of the summer. You know, loggerheads just started nesting. So it'd be really interesting to see what their numbers are. Greens aren't here yet. They usually come like late May, June-ish. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if, if our shutdown lockdown keeps happening to end like what changes with the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking at your Facebook um, and I just other random like news clips around this, which is when the humans are away, like the animals like come back and there's a really cool one. I was like, whoa, tripping on was the, the Venice canals of Italy, like dolphins are appearing, mm -hmm. you know, you see like bears and the terrestrial animals showed up in parks. And it's mm -hmm. just so cool to see that. I call it the resiliency of nature maybe, but it's like, look, it hasn't been that long since the, like the peep, the human influence has been minimized like a few weeks ish. And all of a sudden nature's like right on, <laughs> we're reclaiming what was once ours, you know, now I know that'll change, but it's just neat to see. Yes, it is. I think it's fascinating to see. And it's, it kind of ties into what we were chatting about before we started recording. I'm very curious to see what changes after this, because it's really obvious you know, we talk about, oh, you know, drive your car less, you know, try to consume less, whatever. But when you are forced to, you have to do it. And it's fascinating to see the changes that are happening in the natural world because of it. And and it's it's forced us to really realize what impact that we do have. And I, I really hope that we get some positive change and people kind of start thinking a little bit more about how we are all citizens of one ecosystem and not just like we create our own ecosystem and then the wild is out there. 
Yeah. Oh, I agree. I definitely agree. So kind of switching gears, I mean, definitely tied into still nature and, and the water and everything. Um, two things. One is you also do guided tours in your yeah. area. Is that right? Yeah. So I actually yeah. just started. Uh, perfect timing with like the <laughs> nobody's allowed to do any business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I actually just started my own paddle tour company. Um, I love being outside and I love talking to people and I like talking to people about being outside. So I thought it'd be a really fun way to kind of tie all of that together and do paddle tours. Um, and being on the water, I mean, the listeners of this show know, right? Being on the water is just so meditative and um, therapeutic. And I think when you kind of tie that into a little bit of knowledge about how the local ecosystems work and some of the incredible animals that live in the area, I think it can have a profound impact on how people perceive their role in the world, kind of what I was yeah. just saying. So that was a lot of why I decided to start this tour. Um, and actually what I was describing earlier, taking the canoe through the mangroves over to the beach is part of one of my tours. Um, Cause it's such a fascinating, such a fascinating world we live in, but particularly where I live is such a fascinating place and I love showing it off. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. And what's the place you guys go to? I just saw it, Manatee Pocket, is that the spot? Yeah, so um, Manatee Pocket is a very small body of water that is kind of actually part of my neighborhood, but I live on the tip of it. Oh, nice. um, <laughs> and uh, at one end, it intersects with the St. Lucie River and the Indian River Lagoon. So the St. Lucie River is fresh, and the Indian River Lagoon is this 156-mile-long body of water that spans from all the way up in Lake Sebastian down to Jupiter. And it's at one point was considered uh, one of the most biodiverse estuaries in the entire United States. Wow. And just the amount of wildlife that's in this place is amazing. Um, and then two miles from the mouth of Manatee Pocket, or not even like a mile from the mouth of Manatee Pocket is the inlet. So you just have fresh ocean water. And in Manatee Pocket, we see manatees, as you can imagine. Um, Dolphins, we'll see ICC turtles fairly regularly. There's just all sorts of cool wildlife that happen within Manatee Pocket. Um, but most of my tours actually are elsewhere in Martin County because the water's a little bit clear. Manatee Pocket's enclosed. Yeah. Um, and so we don't get the flood, the ocean flushing as much as it needs to. And uh, yep. we have our own set of water quality issues that I will won't go into because that'll take up much of the time that's what's left in this yeah. uh, podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> suffice to say, suffice to say that uh minute we try we'll go elsewhere where there's a little bit more ocean flushing so we can kind of see a little bit more wildlife. But Manatee Pocket is really special and it's on my list of on my on my list of things to tackle. Projects yeah. to tackle places to clean up. <laughs> Nice. Sounds cool. Just sounds cool. Manatee pocket. I'm just guessing there's manatees there and other cool stuff. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so then that's a neat little gig you've started and I wish you the best on that. We'll put some links to um, your website for that here. Uh, and then more like with the family, like, uh, you know, you've got a boat, you guys are out in the ocean, you grew up in the water out there. I mean, kind of, I know you got a young one now, so it might not get, you might not get to go out as much as you guys used to and you're changing your, you know, activities, which is cool. But just talk about like, you guys have a boat, what are you, are you fishing? And when you go out, like, what are you guys up to out there? Yeah. So we got a boat. Um, and it's a 25 foot pro line if people are curious and nice. 
Yeah, and it's perfect. You know, it's actually a perfect family boat. Um, it's just hard when she's so young. I'm like, just a couple more years and it's going to be yep. cake. Um, <laughs> It'll go fast too. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying to enjoy where we're at and I'm like, it's fine. We'll just make, you know, we'll just do different things for right now. Yep. Um, like take the canoe out. I'm excited about my canoe. But not as fast, not as luxurious, yeah. but still, you're on the water. <laughs> on the water. We saw dolphins yesterday. Saw some sharks. I'm like, this is great. We're good. Oh, nice. Um, but when we do get to take the boat out, one of our favorite things to do is go free diving, actually. Um, a couple oh. years ago, we took the Florida Free Divers class and totally fell in love. We've always loved being on the water and just gone snorkeling and thought that we were decent at free diving. And then we took the class and we're like, you know nothing, Jon Snow. Um, yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing and I highly recommend it to everybody even if you think you are amazing at free diving you know nothing yep. I promise if you haven't taken a class um so we took that class and I we have a so St. Lucie Inlet right the inlet in Stewart is the northern end of the South Florida reef tract so we actually have a little bit of coral reef up by us it's not as you know prolific as down in the keys, but we do have some coral and it's augmented by worm reefs. So we have a lot of really cool wildlife and ledges and fun things to check out. And that's not far offshore. Actually, we just kind of run out the inlet and go, um, it's like maybe a mile offshore. And then we have a lot of artificial reefs that are sunk. So we kind of, we'll go check those out. Well, usually those are for scuba. Uh, we have a barge that we go to. It's called Goli we call it Goliath Grouper Barge. I forget the actual name, but every time we go, we see like six ish, six to eight, like trash can size Goliath groupers. And nice. Yeah, they're like swimming all around. It's super fun. Actually, there's a bunch of anchors, probably from fishermen out there, that uh, we want to go back and with some lift yeah. bags and get off. <laughs> collect <laughs> like, a few. <laughs> yeah, collect a few anchors. Why not? Um, but yeah, so mostly just getting in the water is one of our favorite things to do while we're out, out in the ocean. My husband fishes. I don't anymore. I find it more fun to just kind of hang out in the boat or just get in the water. Like when he's like, oh, we're going to go offshore. And I'm like, well, how far are you going? If you're only going to go three miles and you're going to be fishing, I don't want to go. And he's like, no, I think we'll go out. We'll go out at least past the Gulf Stream. I'm like, mm, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> you know, like, I'll get in and like get in with a sargasso, sargasso, yeah. and like see what critters are living in there, and it's so much fun. So, yeah, oh, it's so fun. And so you're already exposing your daughter to this, like you mentioned. You guys have a ca yeah. uh, canoe, and you're out cruising around. So I'm guessing that this will be, she'll be, you know, a, a fundamental part of all these adventures and activities from here on out. For sure, she's gonna be a little water baby. We've had her on the boat a lot. I mean. You know, it's more of a, it's more of a challenge, but we we totally make it happen because it's worth it. We have, yeah. like I was mentioning earlier, we have some spots. One's called the Sandbar, and it's just inside the inlet. And at high tide, it's clear ocean water. There's all sorts of little hermit crabs and seagrass, and we have queen conch growing and hang out in there. So we'll bring her out there, and it's great because it's shallow, shallow water. I'm like, go play, yeah. and explore your explore your aquatic surroundings, and uh, definitely getting her exposed to that ocean life. That's so cool. That's that's some of my favorite pictures that I have of my kids at that age. They're mm -hmm. all teens now, but is them in the water, around the water. And even them, I, I recollect, like I see them when they see those pictures, they realize even if they get busy with sports and they haven't gone surfing for, you know, two or three weeks or whatever that might be, they've been a little dry. When they see pictures, I've just noticed, you know, that they realize the connection they have that 
far back into their past, you know, and it's like anchors everybody, even me, when I see pictures of myself as a kid way back when, it just kind of anchors you back to your roots of being in and around the ocean. It's, it's really cool. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's, it's true. And it's special. Actually, my husband and I were talking earlier growing up, he actually grew up in Wisconsin, but his dad and mom unfortunately separated when he was younger, but his dad moved to Florida. So he spent every summer down in the Keys same as I did, but I grew up here. It was only a drive down there. Yeah. So, you know, you grow up spending, you know, a week or so every summer di diving coral reefs and it definitely has an impact on you. So it's, it's cool to see the next generation and being able to kind of foster that in, in your own child. So it's yeah. Really oh, it's very cool. Very, very, very cool. Um, cool. Kara. Well, before we wrap up here, so first give and I'll put these links in the show notes, but not everybody reads the show notes, which is cool. So give me, <laughs> give us some, some URL, some websites where two things, one way people can find your podcast and two, where people can go to learn more about the guided tours that you provide in your area. Yeah. Awesome. So my podcast is available over at marinebio.life. Pretty simple because the name of my podcast so you want to be a marine biologist is just a really long URL. <laughs> We abbreviated that. Uh, so marinebio.life for the podcast. And then paddle tours if you are in Florida or you want to come visit Florida and come see what wild, wonderful Florida is all about. StuartPaddleTours.com. That's where everything is at. Awesome. 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 Well, Kara, I appreciate your time today hearing all this cool stuff um i love geeking out about marine biology i could keep talking about the turtles and uh, i know you've done other things besides that um and good luck with all of the and your, your family and staying safe healthy and all that stuff um yeah, it's been really great chatting with you today thank you yeah it was awesome thank you so much for having me on absolutely take care and we'll talk to you soon Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you. If you like what you heard, would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with people you know who might enjoy the stories that we hear and the guests we have on. And of course, even better, reduce plastic, do something good for the ocean and for each other. Thanks again. We'll catch you on the next episode.